Do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gern, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. Government Contracting Today. I am uh, very pleased to have my guest, uh, Chuck Pro, the CEO of Vectris, uh, join us today. Thank you, Lewis. Good to see you. Uh, great to see you as well. Uh, for those of you who may not have uh, listened to our show previously, the reason we focus on government contracting is because it is such a huge industry in, uh, in our economy, especially here in, uh, in, in Northern Virginia. The, uh, the top states for, for government contracting include uh, uh, the state of Virginia, uh, Maryland, and the, the district. It's a, an industry that's in excess of $400 billion a year, and just as a perspective, is larger than the gross domestic product of, uh, of several countries, including uh, Poland, uh, Belgium, and, uh, and Israel. So again, it's a big, important industry in our, uh, in our local economy. And during the show, we talk about uh, issues and opportunities in the government contracting space. And I'm, again, very pleased to have, uh, to have uh, Chuck with us today. Chuck, uh, like, like me, you're a guy from, uh, from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, how'd you end up here in the D.C. area? Uh, I am the show me state. Uh, I came to D.C. in 1999 at the request of someone that some of your listeners may know, uh, Wood Parker, who at the time was a managing partner of PricewaterhouseCoopers Consulting Business. I had spent the early portion of my career uh, in and around the Midwest, predominantly working for manufacturing clients. I have a supply chain, logistics, and IT background. Uh, really enjoyed that career immensely. Didn't have much thought about moving into government services contracting until Wood called me one day. I came out to D.C. Uh, for about two years, was the deal, and that was 17, 18 years ago, and I uh, have not looked back once. I really enjoyed it. My wife and I enjoy the area, and serving federal, state, and local, and other, gov and other government clients are just fantastic. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, great. Well, you've had a, an incredibly successful career thus far, including uh, several major organizations, including uh, ENY, uh, the company now known as uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, IBM, and now Vectris as the uh, chief executive officer. So give us a, a quick summary as to, to how you've been able to, to navigate your way and ultimately become the CEO of a business. Well, it, it has been a fascinating uh, career, and I can't believe it's been as many years as it has been. But I've been in professional services essentially my entire career. And from very early on in my career, I just really enjoyed engaging with clients, helping them solve their business problems, and what I like to say, making them famous. And over the years, we've seen a number of very interesting trends throughout manufacturing. Uh, it's been interesting to see the just-in-time craze and all of the advanced uh, total quality management activities as well. And as I indicated, it was through that activity that I was really uh, uh, brought to uh, D.C. here, uh, again at the invitation of Wood Parker, to at the time to create a systems integration business for PricewaterhouseCoopers. At the time, PricewaterhouseCoopers was predominantly a consultancy. Uh, it had very little systems integration in its portfolio. 
And uh, from that point forward, uh, the time was good. It was uh, 1999-2000, and this industry was ripe for automation, and particularly automation of the what I call the business of government, uh, the back office aspects of government. And then, of course, 9-11 occurred, and all the very important activities that have occurred uh, as a result of that, the creation of the Department of Homeland Security, so it was just really a confluence of uh, both staying with the industry, point one, and really learning to love the professional services industry here in government services. Uh, you know, I loved every second of the commercial aspect of my background, uh, but when you're engaged with government services clients, both here in the U.S. and globally, it really does add a special uh, uh color, if you will, to what we do every day, which is serve clients and, like I say, try to make our clients famous. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Some of our listeners may not be familiar with uh, Vectris, so can you tell us more about uh, your firm, how you landed there, who some of your customers are, and some of the, the highlights of, uh, of what you guys are doing? I'd love to. Uh, Vectris is technically a three-and-a-half-year-old public company, but it has a 70-year-plus history uh, going back to ITT. As many of you who have been around the industry for a while have realized, ITT uh, spun into uh, Excellus, one of the spinouts of the ITT uh, activity, and then Excellus spun Vectris into a standalone company again three and a half years ago. Uh, Vectris is exclusively at this point in time a provider to the U.S. military. Uh, we operate military bases. We operate military supply chains and we operate military IT networks. Uh, we are continuing to advance our business model to move into the civilian aspect of the government services marketplace. And then ultimately, there are select what I'll call non-federal niches that we see ourselves moving into over the next couple of years. Got it. So I heard uh, in, in, in your explanation that that, that supply chain theme that uh, you mentioned early on, that's, uh, again, a, a big part of what, uh, what Vectris is all about. Absolutely. Vectris is exclusively what I call an operating firm. Uh, as I was doing my uh, due diligence and through the interview process, I've been with Vectris now for about a year. I started in uh, December of 2016. Uh, that due diligence really confirmed that our clients really look to Vectris as being a preeminent operator in our respective space. It's interesting. I've traveled about 290,000 miles over that year, uh, met many, many clients across many different geographies. It's worth noting as well that 80% of our business is actually outside the continental United States. And when we are deployed with our clients at bases in the Middle East and Turkey and Europe, we have a very recent win in Greenland as an example. With the current op tempo of our clients, in many cases, the base operator uh, is the continuity, the long-term continuity. Uh, we take pride in that. Uh, we have 35% plus, uh, actually probably closer to 40% plus of our employee population are retired veterans who have a passion for the missions they support. That's great. What what kinds of things, Chuck, do you guys do to differentiate yourself from, from your competition? Because it is, a, again, a, a huge field, and it's one that obviously there are some other 
large organizations that are in your space. So, you know, what's unique about Vectris? That's a great question because what is really exciting about this space is that it is a space under transformation. Mm -hmm. uh, traditionally, uh, this space has been a uh, cost-type contracting client base, and we are rapidly moving into fixed-price contracting, which gives us a little bit more room to innovate, if you will, which we think is just perfect. It's exactly what we're looking to occur. And what is also occurring, like it's happening throughout the world, really, the physical and digital infrastructures of our clients are converging. So when we are conducting base operations, you know, much of that infrastructure is censored. And when you have a censored infrastructure, you can look at new and innovative ways, if you will, to uh, not only manage the infrastructure, uh, but control it in a more proactive and predictive manner. Mm -hmm. Got it. Right before the uh, the show, you shared with me that uh, you had some recent news about uh, Vectris. I'd love to hear what, uh, what news uh, you can share. Oh, very good. Just a couple of hours ago, actually, we closed our first uh, acquisition in my tenure, Centel Corporation. And in terms of the thinking behind Centel, as I think of acquisitions, I think of our strategy, becoming a leader in what I call the converged infrastructure space, and then looking at acquisitions to enhance our capability set, uh, move more deeply into deep information technology that allows us to integrate sensors, as an example. And we also look toward expanding our client set. In this case, Centel had a footprint in the uh, U.S. intelligence community, uh, which was a community that was coveted by us and many others, as a matter of fact, in this space, as well as it did move us into the federal civilian uh, client base as well. So Centel is an important acquisition for us, not only from a kind of a revenue and market positioning perspective, it really allows us to uh, deepen our capability set and broaden our client base. That's great. Now, you've been on both sides of, uh, of acquisition, so uh, what's it like on the, on the other side when you're, when you're acquired, and, and you know, how, did you, how did you manage that, and how were you able to, uh, to not only survive but to thrive? Uh, that's a great question. Actually, I've been through the acquisition in my career of Arthur Young and uh, Ernst & Winnie of, uh, of Coopers & Lybrun and Price Waterhouse and their PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, and IBM. And I always said that if anybody acquired IBM, I was kind of done. <laughs> but, uh, but, but in all seriousness, um, the way to thrive in an inquisitive marketplace is to continue to stay focused on your clients and adding value, continue to stay focused on your people and adding value. Again, the professional services marketplace in all industries, but in government services in particular, has a very important role in helping our clients mature and become more efficient and more effective. And if throughout this transition, staying focused on your clients, staying focused on providing client value, and ultimately, as you know from your career and your current profession, it's all about people. Mm -hmm. And it's about staying focused on our people and demonstrating to people that uh, acquisitions and other combinations in business are ways for them to step up and lead and, uh, and advance their careers in new and innovative ways. Mm -hmm. Great. You mentioned that uh, you're now the, uh, the CEO of a publicly traded company. So congrats, first of all, congratulations on uh, achieving that uh, milestone. Thank you very much. And what's, uh, I mean, what are the, some of the, the big differences for you in, in your role now, Chuck, as the, as the CEO versus uh, 
prior senior level roles that you've had and, and what kinds of things have you had to do differently and, and learn as a result of, of uh, your new job? That's a great question. And coming in, what I was coached by people who had been mentors of mine over time that, you know, working with boards and working with the investment community in particular are just two different, two different muscle movements, if you will, that you have to acquire. And I've been blessed. I, I couldn't imagine a more uh, receptive board. Uh, I really believe we have a partnership with our board. And the good fortune of where we were financially, uh, the investment community uh, is receptive of a new message. It's receptive of a new strategy. And we were very fortunate here in this last year to actually close a credit facility. So I had uh, a baptism by fire, if you will, in terms of the financial markets. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Got it. You spent uh, a good bit of your career in the in the government contracting space. How has this evolved in uh, in the time since you first got into it to until today? It's a great question. When I arrived in Washington D.C., this was kind of a, a new and interesting place for me. But what the paradigm that I had of government being a kind of a big, slow bureaucracy, slow to innovate. The more I became steeped in the industry, the more hogwash that really was. You know, as I got to meet government clients personally, as I got to meet my peers and colleagues throughout industry personally, the process is different. Perhaps the speed is slightly different, but the passion to improve the processes, to improve the outcomes, and to make government better is universally shared between both the contractor community and the client community. And as you listen to all the rhetoric, you know, on TV and the radio and so forth, it's really unfortunate that that is uh, really understated because our clients out there throughout this community, both in the U.S. uh, and throughout the world, in many cases working in difficult environments for our benefit, are not really given the credit they deserve in terms of what they do to innovate, what they do to make us better, and what they do to make us safer. Sure, absolutely. You mentioned earlier that uh, 80% of your business is, is outside of the uh, the U.S. I mean, that's uh, that's pretty staggering, and I just think about the time zone challenges that uh, that you must have. Uh, but what are some of the, 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 the big challenges that, that you're facing now at Vectris as well as other challenges that you faced in other uh, roles where you work in um, in the government contracting space? That's a great question. And by and large, the, the op tempo isn't getting slower uh, for our military and thus for us as well. And the, you know, the, the security posture of not only the nation, but our troops are increasingly complex. So, you know, what I think about first and foremost is the safety of our people. And then I think uh, about the role that we must play every day to ensure the continuity of our clients' missions. Uh, when I entered uh, Vectris, although I'd done quite a bit of studying and talked to people and talked to clients, you know, it's not really until you're standing in the middle of Camp Barifjan or in Inslik Air Force Base in Turkey and see what our people are doing every day to ensure that the military has what they need and when they need it Uh, do you really begin to appreciate how complex our business is and the important role we play in ensuring our clients are always ready? Mm -hmm. Got it. What are some of the the questions I love to ask my my, uh, guests on the the radio show is about difficult roles that you have and with a a 
uh, an organization that's global, where 80% of your folks are outside of the U.S., sounds like some very complex, uh, very, very challenging positions. I'm just curious about what are some of the, the more challenging positions you have to fill, and how are you going about uh, finding the talent you need? That, that's a that question is so important because unlike my prior roles that were predominantly in the higher end management consulting and information technology marketplace, uh, we have a workforce of more than 6,000 people, not to include our subcontractor base, that really range a variety through a variety of what I'll call blue collar through high end. Uh, white-collar IT kinds of positions. So the uh, the range of talent that we have in the organization that is required to keep our bases and our supply chains operating, to keep our IT networks operating, is, is very expansive. Uh, and in that reality that we have to deal with is how do we manage to engage all different walks of our community? Because, you know, our people that are in more of the blue-collar trades, if you will, you know, have as much passion for what they do as the people that are in the more white-collar aspects of our business. And it's been fascinating to watch through our 70-year culture here. Because, again, although we're a three-and-a-half-year-old company, we have a 70-year-old culture going back to ITT. It's just been fascinating to see the way our culture really embraces that reality and allows those individuals to thrive within our management system. Got it. Got it. Okay. One of the, the, obviously, the big challenges for any CEO is to grow your business. And I'm curious as to, you know, what challenges are, are you facing to, uh, to growth? In, in, my, uh, in my simple way of thinking, and to me, simple is always better. If you're a services company, uh, if you're not growing, uh, the alternative is not good. Mm-hmm. And so our... Uh, Everything we do is based around expanding our current uh, business development capabilities into our existing markets. I am very, very pleased with our strategy and how it's evolved around the converging digital and physical infrastructures. And and we are going to embrace new markets. We are going to embrace new capabilities. We're going to embrace new technologies. And we're going to demonstrate to our existing clients that we can change the way you know bases and supply chains operate today. Uh, the great thing about our size, I like, I like to tell you, we're a $1.1 billion startup. So we're not afraid to innovate. Uh, we're not afraid to, I call it, fail fast. And we're going to learn our lessons. And when we're done, uh, we will operate the uh, missions that we operate in a better, more efficient, and I like to believe safer manner as well. Okay, good. One of the other questions I, I love to ask uh, people, Chuck, is is what suggestions do you have for younger people who are who are up and coming and one who are, you know, interested in, in getting into this industry? So first, you know, how do you how do you break into this uh, this this very robust and uh, and uh, complex industry of government contracting? So what what suggestions do you have for folks? Well, I, I spend some fair amount of my time talking to young people. Just one of the things that I've always enjoyed doing. And what I tell young people thinking about government services, consulting, contracting in general, is that this is a profession. It's an honorable profession, and it's a profession when you get very good at it, you're going to make an enormous change in the way this government works and the way this country operates. So too many times we find ourselves being apologetic about you know contracting and government contractors. That's just not the way it needs to be and it's not the way it should be. As I've said earlier in the conversation, 
Uh, our clients are out there doing great things every day, probably very underappreciated. And your role as a young person entering this profession is to find those clients, embrace them, because in several years, you know, you're both going to be very senior people in this marketplace. And when you do that, the sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've also, again, I mentioned, been quite successful and starting out as really an entry-level person and making your way to uh, to ultimately become the uh, CEO of a, of a publicly traded business. You mentioned mentoring uh, before. I mean, what are some of the other uh, things which you point to as, as uh, reasons for, for your success? Well, it's um, I, I learned very early on in my career for a number of reasons that, you know, first of all, you have to embrace diversity, especially in professional services, because if you're a professional services firm and you don't fundamentally look like your clients and you don't fundamentally think like your clients and you don't have fundamentally the same background as your clients, you're going to miss the mark. So if you start from the con- the context of diversity and you move on to there to kind of value your people, that doesn't mean everything has to be wonderful all the times. You know, we have to move people on in this industry all the time. But I like to call it courageous communication. Uh, if you're valuing diversity, if you're focused on investing in your people, if you're having, uh, con- what I, again, what I like to call courageous communication, I mean, ultimately your workforce will improve over time. And ultimately you will look like your clients. And by doing that, you'll add greater value to your clients. Mm-hmm. Great. What um, what kinds of things do you do, Chuck, to to keep yourself current and uh, and, and and sharp on what's happening in the industry? Uh, well, a big piece of that is you work a lot of hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it doesn't get any easier, as as we all know. But I mean, we have a couple of great media outlets here: the uh, GovCon Wire, the Washington Exec. They have their blurbs and just, you know, and uh, they add a great value, I might say, to this industry as well on a number of levels. But uh, secondly, it's just really leveraging the network. You know, I've always found that you just don't learn much sitting in your office. You know, be on the phone, be out in the marketplace, you know, go to events, go to sessions, go meet with your teams and your clients. And that's where you really get a sense on what's happening not only within your client base, but within the marketplace more generally. Mm-hmm. Got it. I know that uh, you played uh, sports in, uh, in high school and, and, and in college, and uh, um, I'm sure there's some great lessons. But what lessons did you take away from, uh, from those experiences that have, that have helped you in your career? Well, the biggest lesson was uh, having my son look at my knees and deciding to play soccer. That was a great uh, that was <laughs> that was a great lesson for him sure. too, by the way. But really, it's about leadership. It's mm-hmm. about discipline, and it's about competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have a daughter uh, who's in the film industry, and I watch what she's doing as she's starting her own new business in photography. And it's about leadership, it's about competition, uh, and it's about discipline. So that's uh, that's what you take. That's what I have taken with me anyway throughout my career. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. What about for fun? What uh, I know you work a lot of hours, and you you mentioned you traveled uh, two hundred and something thousand miles last year. So what what do you do for fun? Well, I like to play golf. I'm not very good, but I do. I do play some golf, and we live in a rural community, so just anything outdoors, hiking. Occasionally, you can ride a horse, but that's uh, anything outdoors is kind of where I'm the happiest when I'm not working. Yeah. Okay. Great. And by the way, I should mention uh, playing with two grandkids. Oh. Grand, grand, grandparenting is a wonderful is a wonderful deal. Let me tell you. Oh, nice, nice. 
Well, good for you. How old are your grandkids? Uh, seven and four. Okay. Girl and boy. Oh, wonderful. Well, one of my one of my life's ambitions is to ultimately have grandkids as well. well you'll get there. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I was going to ask one last question about uh, about Vectris. Uh, uh, you mentioned it's a uh, it's a in, in many ways it's a, a seventy year old startup. I'm curious as to you know what what changes did you uh, need to make or what changes have you made I should say since you've been there. Uh, it's a great company with a great culture, and, and I really believe that very early on we were able to adjust our strategy in an, in a way that could really provide for a differentiated platform. So as this market, again, the physical and digital aspects of our market converge, we can and we will be a leader in that space. And, you know, with, with any good strategy requires execution, and I believe we now have a team in place that, are gonna allow, that will allow us to execute against that strategy. Okay, that's great. Where's your uh, next trip coming up? Where are you, where are you heading uh, business-wise? Next trip is, uh, the long trip is back to the Middle East and uh, and probably to Europe, although it could be Turkey. Okay. All right. Great. Yeah. Well, Chuck, I want to thank you again for for agreeing to be a guest on my on my show. Uh, it's uh, always a pleasure to uh, to see you. For for those of you who don't know, sort of an inside uh, story, Chuck and I actually have known each other since high school. We played uh, we played football together way back in the day, and it was just really wonderful to reconnect with him in the in the D.C. area after I moved here a bunch of years ago. So, Chuck, I wish you and your family uh, continued success, and uh, thanks again for being a guest on my show. Enjoyed it, and same to you. All right, thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.